Let's pray. Lord, help us to open our hearts and our minds to you. Help us to lay down our wills before you. Not what we will, but what you will be done. Lord, conform us to the beauty and the image of Christ. Give us understanding from your word. Lord, would you help me to teach and explain what your word says and how it can impact and make a difference in our lives. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Would you pour living water upon dry and cracked souls today and start with me. Lord, don't leave us unchanged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you were truly happy? When was the last time that you really felt it? That you were really happy? For some of us, it's kind of hard to remember. For some of us, life has been hard. We've, we've experienced one disappointment after the other, one letdown after the other. We look around and other people seem to have reached it. Happiness. But true happiness just seems to be out of reach. It just slips through our fingers. Now let me tell you something from God today. God wants you to be truly happy. God wants you to be truly happy. And in and, 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 and our scripture today, God is going to reveal to us an understanding of how we can possibly get at this. How can we possibly begin to experience what we all long for, that fulfillment and that joy that we know we were created for? Our scripture this morning is John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. And, and I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read God's word today. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 3, verse 22 through 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing. And everyone's going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. 
Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the word of God for the people of God. Everybody said, Amen. You can be seated. This summer, we've been going through a series exploring the godly virtues that are listed in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And, and, and through faith in Jesus, we become more and more like the person that these virtues describe. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Why? Because Jesus is all of those things. And so we're looking to Him to see, okay, if Jesus is this way, then, then, then we need to understand that so we can experience that ourselves through faith. Today we will consider whatever is lovely. What is lovely? You know what this makes me think of, right? Yeah. Isn't she lovely? Come on. Isn't she wonderful? Isn't she precious? Less than one minute. Oh, come on. I never thought through love we'd be making one as lovely as she but isn't she lovely made from love oh that's my hey all right all right that's my falsetto kicking in uh i hope stevie wonder never listens to this recording i love that song and i immediately thought of it when i read the scripture i thought it's lovely why because this song is about pure happiness right? Do you, know, do you know what it's about? Stevie Wonder wrote this song about his newborn daughter, Aisha. And, and, and you can feel the awe. You can feel the wonder. You can feel the amazement. You can feel the contentment. You can feel pure happiness. He's singing about how love produces loveliness. How love produces loveliness. But if you think about it for just a moment, this song is much deeper than we think. It's much deeper than we think. Why? Because we often think of whatever is lovely as something external. We often think of it as an appearance. We often think of it as, oh, isn't she lovely? And what are we saying? We're saying the way she looks. But in case you forgot, Stevie Wonder was born blind. And so he wrote this song not talking about the physical appearance of his wonderful daughter. What's he, he's talking about something else. He's talking about something deeper than we think. Something that isn't just skin deep. He's talking about what's truly lovely. And that is what God means by this word. It's not the external, it's not the appearance, it's not the circumstances that make something lovely. 
The psalmist in Psalm 84 wrote these words that we used as our call to worship today. How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. In verse 10 it says, For a day, one day in your presence is better than a thousand elsewhere. Hallelujah! One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. We were created to find loveliness in the presence of God. We were created, we were made to long for and to sing for joy at the presence of God. To be in His presence. Because it's not about appearances. How many of you have seen God? It's not about an external beauty. It's not about pleasant circumstances or a situation. It's about something deeper. It's about a relationship with the living God who, who, who loves us and who gave himself for us. And so how do we find this? How do we connect to that? Because look, we're all living dissatisfied lives. If you're honest, you got your church clothes on or your t-shirt, but behind the, the facade... You and I are living a dissatisfied life in so many ways. We, we fall short of what we know we're supposed to be. Right? We fall short of what we know we're supposed to be. That's why our church confesses our sin every Sunday. Because we want to keep it real. Right, Joel? We want to keep it real. And so let's go back to the text. John chapter 3, verse 22 is where I'm going to pick up. And it reads, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John, now this is not John who wrote this letter, okay? This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. Two different Johns, just keep that in mind. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being, get the image, people are coming and they're being baptized. And then we get this side note, for John had not yet been put in prison. See, Jesus started his ministry in the northern part of Israel in a region called Galilee, near the Sea of Galilee and those towns and villages. But now, as his ministry is progressing, he's moving south, and he's moving into an area where his cousin, John the Baptist, has been doing ministry for years. See, Jesus is moving down into Judean countryside. John and his disciples have seen many people respond to his powerful message of repentance. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. Thousands of people have been baptized and brought into a new relationship with God. People were turning away from this deep patterns of sin that have chained them down and held them by the throat. They've turned from it by simple repentance and trust in God, and now they've seen this huge harvest beginning. Lives are being transformed. Isn't it lovely? Verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing. And all are going to him. I love the way this is put. A discussion arose. 
If I tell you that my wife and I had a discussion, what am I talking about? I'm saying we were arguing about something, right? We're going to put a nice little, you know, church vibe on it, right? We had a discussion. Okay, y'all know the deal. Y'all know the deal. (laughs) We don't really know what was involved in this discussion, but it had to do with purification. See, the Jewish leaders in that day, they had a corner on the market of purification. Uh, Watch this. You come to the synagogue, you pay your tithes. Can anybody say amen? You pay your tithes, you receive your ritual washing, and you walk away clean. I'm good. I did my religious duty. I'm good. But John the Baptist is out here in the wilderness, and he's saying, it ain't about that. It's about something deeper. It's about something in your heart. Your heart is messed up. You need to repent, Uh, not just do a religious duty, but you need to actually turn away from what's controlling you. Leave it in God's hands. See, John the Baptist was out in the wilderness hustling a different kind of purification that goes beyond appearances. It went straight to the heart. And at this point, John the Baptist and his crew were the only game in town. John the Baptist and his crew were the only game in town. But apparently this discussion with uh, some guy, it made them realize that there was some competition. It, It made them realize that there was another gang stepping on their turf. Did you hear the fear and the worry in their voices? He is baptizing, and all are going to him. They feel threatened. They feel worried. Everyone's leaving. What's happening? What's happening, John? What's happening, God? Everything's falling apart. What I thought was so great is is now it's crumbling. Everyone's going to him. John's disciples are so upset that they can't even bring themselves to mention Jesus' name. They can't even say his name. He who you bore witness to across the Jordan. They can't even say his name, Jesus. Why? Because their source of happiness is crumbling right before their eyes. Can you relate? Is your idea of happiness and loveliness tied to your circumstances? Do you fall apart when something you love is pulled back? Do you feel your emotions begin to crash in when something that you depended on is removed? When your successes are revealed to be failures? When a new employee joins the team and suddenly she's getting all the projects that you used to get. When a new student moves into your school and suddenly you're not the most popular kid anymore. When 
yet another friend from college gets engaged and you can't even get a date. It's so easy, isn't it? To fall into jealousy and envy and unhappiness. Brothers and sisters, we need to get off the treadmill of disappointment. We need to get off the treadmill of disappointment. We need to shift our mindset. We need true happiness, right? Not that superficial happiness that's dependent on our circumstances, but a true, deep happiness that Stevie Wonder was singing about. You see, John the Baptist, he responded to his disciples. He didn't just let this fly because I'm sure he felt the same way a little bit. I'm sure he felt the same way a little bit, but he doesn't let it fly. He speaks the truth in love to his disciples. He lays out some facts. He lays out some facts that can teach us how we can experience true happiness. I'm going to go through these kind of quickly. Number one, everything is a gift. That's the first fact. Everything is a gift. Look at verse 27. John answered their frustration, and he said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. How many things can you receive without them being given? This many. None, right? Not even one thing can we can we receive unless it is given to us from heaven? So he's saying, look, all of the success that you've had, he's saying all of the things that we've done, it is all a gift from God. Anything that you're taking credit for, you're, you're, you're taking credit away from God because he's the one who's given it to you. He's the one that's filled you with it. This is not natural to, to feel this way. It is a discipline to not take credit for ourselves. It's a discipline to say, to God be the glory. I mean, there's a psalm that says, if it had not been that the Lord was on my side, if it had not been that the Lord was on my side, we would have been destroyed, utterly destroyed. See, the life of a Christian is the life of saying everything's a gift. And when you realize everything's a gift, then you don't put so much stock in those things that you think bring you happiness. And when they're gone, you don't fall apart. Because it was a gift. It was a gift. As, as Job said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Thanks be to God. Man, how can we say that? How can we say that? Only by the gift of grace. It is God's gift of grace that we would recognize the giver. So that, y'all, when we have successes in life, we would turn the glory from ourselves. We would hold up a mirror and say, look, it's really God. And that we would believe that in our own hearts, that it really is Him. That we would recognize the giver. Everything is a gift. Fact number one. Fact number two. You are not the Christ. Fact number two, you are not the Christ. Everybody hold up a mirror. Everybody hold up a mirror and say, you are not the Christ. You are not the Christ. Amen. It doesn't sound like you believe it yet. Look at verse 28. 
Look at verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him, the one who has the bride as the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Uh, John's disciples had heard him say it a thousand times, I am not the Christ, I am not the Christ. I mean, in fact, he had said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Talking about who? No, some guy over on the other side of the Jordan, <laughs> right? Some, some guy. No, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Savior. Jesus, the Rescuer. True happiness is knowing who we are in relation to who God is. It's, it's letting go of the Messiah complex that some of you have. And I know you have it because I have it. Hallelujah. Lord, have mercy. John says, I'm his friend. I'm the friend of the bridegroom who rejoices greatly at the sound of his voice. Look, John hears that the crowds are leaving. He sees the, the backsides of people as they're walking away. And he says, Hallelujah! Why? Because he knows where they're going. He knows they're going to Jesus. And he's happy about it. Isn't it lovely that Jesus is wooing his bride? Isn't it lovely that everyone is turning to him? Isn't it lovely that we get to see everything that's happening, everything we've hoped for is happening now, is fulfilled? John the Baptist says, isn't it lovely? And his disciples are over here going, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Why do we find it so difficult to rejoice at the success of others? Why do we find it so difficult to rejoice in the success of others? I'll tell you why. Because we want to be the Christ. We want to be the center. We want to be the one who gets the job done. We want to be in the room where it happens. The room where it happens. And so why do we find it difficult to rejoice in the successes of others? Because we've lost our Christ. Because we've lost who Christ is. We've put ourselves in His place. Look. It was the first temptation. It was the first temptation. You eat this fruit and you will be like God. And that's what sucked us in from the beginning. It's what sucks us in today. We can be the Christ, we think. But brothers and sisters, we need to recognize the facts. You are not the Christ. Only God deserves the glory. Only Jesus did it right. Only Jesus never fell to temptation. Only Jesus can fix people. So what do we do? We simply need to make much of Jesus like John the Baptist. We simply need to say 
Isn't he lovely? See, that's the goal. That's the motive. That's the mission of our lives. To make much of Jesus. Fact number one, everything is a gift. Fact number two, you are not the Christ. And fact number three, the way up is down. Verse 30 is probably the most convicting verse in the Bible. Okay, It says, he must increase, but I must decrease. I didn't include this in my notes, but I got an illustration, all right? You guys remember the movie The Greatest Showman? Came out a couple years ago. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a scene that's a behind-the-scenes uh, of this movie where they're having rehearsal, song rehearsal, and the main, uh, the main actor, whose name has slipped my mind, Hugh Jackman, right? How could I forget Hugh Jackman? Okay, so Hugh Jackman, who can sing, you know, like he can really sing. Hugh Jackman got cancer, and because of his cancer treatments, he wasn't able to come to rehearsal, and so he has a stand-in who is a great singer, a professional singer, but he's not Hugh Jackman, right? And so there's this, there's this, there's this clip of the choir rehearsal, and they're singing this song. Uh, what's the song? Come on, somebody help me. I didn't write it down. I'm not good on my feet. <laughs> From now on, thank you, my daughter. Boom. From now on, and Hugh Jackman is in the room, but he's not singing. He's got a gauze on his face. And his, his understudy is there singing the part so everyone can rehearse. And as he's singing, as the understudy, who's doing a fantastic job, as he's singing, suddenly Hugh Jackman starts to step forward because the music is just pulling him in. And he starts to step forward and he starts to kind of hum the music. And then he starts to sing it. And, then it. and then eventually he pulls the gauze off of his face and he's like full out singing. And what's beautiful is that the understudy who had been leading that part, as soon as Hugh Jackman came into the, as soon as he started to sing, he started to back away like this. But the look on his face was not one of disappointment. The look on his face was pure joy. To be sit standing in the presence of such a great actor, doing his thing, in his glory, <laughs> Singing that song. Oh, it's beautiful. I'll post it on Facebook later. All right, so you can check it out. The way up is down. John's disciples loved the attention. They loved the fame. They loved the success. They loved being at the center of this movement of God. How many of you want to be the center of a movement of God? But as lovely as their ministry was, it was keeping them from something even more lovely. As lovely as it was, it was keeping them from something even better. Because they were filled with the wrong loveliness. They were filled with fame and success and 
notoriety and numbers and their own doing. But it was pushing out, it was pushing out what really makes us lovely, what really brings us happiness. John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, the Son of God, the Son of God, the creator of this world. You may believe that, you may not believe that, but God holds this world together because He made it. It's His. And if you don't follow Him, then you're going to be lost because He made this world. He made you. And the Son of God came into the world, and when He came into the world, people were drawn to Him. And He was filling the world with His glory. And as He was filling the world with His glory, all the other less lovely things are being pushed out. See, you don't have to turn over a new leaf. You don't have to work real hard to stop doing the things that are wrong. You just need to be filled with Jesus. And as you're filled with Him, it's going to push out all that crap. <laughs> it's going to push out all the bad stuff. It's going to push out all the things that bind you and hold you down and chain you and have for so long. Be filled. The way up is down. The way to fullness is emptiness. This is how we experience true happiness. If we can see that Jesus is more lovely than anything and we can really receive Him in our lives, then true peace, contentment, and happiness will be yours. No matter what your circumstances. Uh, you could be born blind and see the beauty. Everything is a gift. You are not the Christ. The way up is down. I'm not done. There's one more thing. There's one more thing that's even better news. Jesus did not come into the world for his own sake. He didn't come into the world for his own glory, even though he's the only one worthy of praise. He didn't come for his own sake. He came for you. And he came for me. And y'all, as we turn our lives over to him, as we experience the loss of things that we found lovely in this life, and you will, and you have, and I have, but as we experience that, as we trust Him to be our all in all, to fill us completely, we will find that we are the object of His love. That we are what He's filling us with. That he, we are the ones that He loves. That we are the ones that He gave Himself for on that cross. He, gave, he poured out His life willingly, lovingly, so that we could have life. Look at what Jesus says about John the Baptist later. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Man, John the Baptist said, I must decrease, but, but Jesus is increasing. And as Jesus is increasing, he's bringing John with him. You see that? He's saying, he's saying you're decreasing, but I'm increasing, and I'm taking you with me. 
He says, there's no one greater born among men than John the Baptist. And then he says something even better. He says, yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven, that's you, that's me. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom, if you feel like you're the least one here, you're, you're, the, you're, the, you're the loser of the room. And I hope everyone is feeling that way just a little bit. Listen to what Jesus says about you. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than John the Baptist. The one who is least is the greatest. That's you. That's me. Believe it. Jesus is lovely, and we are lovely to him. Jesus is lovely, and we are lovely to him. Jesus is lovely. And we are lovely to Him. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together and we'll continue to worship. God, we thank You that You have come to show us what love really looks like. That You have poured out this gift of grace so that we who do not deserve it could be transformed and filled with all of the fullness of Christ that we could lay down our idols and our false gods and the things that we look to for, for happiness and we could lay them down and say, no, you are true happiness. God, give us blindness so that we can see. Give us emptiness so that we can be filled. Give us death so that we can have life. May you increase. May we decrease. In Jesus' name, amen.